Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. You'll notice in the uh, bulletin this morning that our sermon series, uh, Encounters with God. So for a few weeks, the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, different scriptures throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, of people who had encounters with God. Have you had an encounter with God? Uh, we've had some, uh, we have some amazing encounters with God that we're going to see in the scriptures. We saw in our class this morning that the Apostle Paul says in Timothy, all scripture is written for our benefit, our understanding, our growth. So we're going to learn from these. And when we finish this series, we're going to do a book series uh, this spring also from Paul's epistle to the Philippians. Tonight we'll begin our series on Revelation in the evening service. So I invite you to come and share in the Bible teaching with us. Some of these encounters with God, most of the encounters with God, uh, we find in the Bible oftentimes are quite frightening at first. Right? This last uh, Christmas season, we reviewed once again the wonderful story of Christmas, but how many times, don't be afraid, fear not. Because an encounter with an angel who represents God, with God himself, can be quite frightening. But they always are for a good purpose. And that's why we hear, fear not. Have you been frightened lately? Have you been startled lately? I was thinking about this some of the times in my life. Um, I remember years ago in the 70s, we were down at uh, one of the theaters downtown, and it was when the movie Jaws came out. Remember that movie, the real one, the first, yeah, Jaws? And I don't remember all the details. I haven't really watched it since then, except I do remember there's a scene that was on a big screen, right? And we were sitting in the balcony, first row of the balcony at um, Blue Mouse or something. I can't remember what the theater was. Anyway, and we were sitting in the front row of the balcony, and there's a big screen, and there's this real peaceful, you know, the water and the boat, and all of a sudden, what happens? The shark, right? Boom, right in front of you. And full screen, I remember Terry Faulkner was sitting next to me. Terry was our youth pastor at that time. This was in the 70s. And I remember literally Terry jumping out of his sheet. <laughs> ah! He goes, you know. <laughs> it scared him. <laughs> and uh, you can laugh about it now. But um, sometimes it can be quite scary to be startled. And I want us to turn today to Genesis chapter 32. We're going to look at a rather frightening encounter with God that Jacob had and why God had this encounter with Jacob. But let's pray. Father, as we open your word, our our heart's desire is, Lord, that uh, we may listen to your word. And Lord, we have we have sung your word this morning. The words of the songs that we have sung have all been based on scriptures and scripture truth. So we Continue to sing your word and worship you now by reading your word and meditating on it these next few moments. I thank you for each person's come today, Lord. They could be anywhere today. It's a beautiful day. A lot of uh, things that uh, people could be doing today, but they have made the choice to come and not only share in this ministry, but to encourage their fellow believers and brothers and sisters in the Lord. And I want to thank you for that. And so we give these next few moments to you together as a family in Christ's name. Amen. Last week we considered uh, Jacob 
and his encounter with the angels of God, and then God himself with the stairway to heaven, right? As the, as the angels went up and the angels came down, and then God himself stood there and spoke to him. And he called that uh, place Bethel, the house of God. And he said, if you go with me and take care of me, give me clothes to wear, food to eat, and watch over me, I will come back and I will worship you at this place. And we looked at that encounter with God last week. It was a vision he had, but it was, it was reality. It was a dream, a vision, but it was reality. Today in Genesis chapter 32, we are at the end of that journey. Jacob is now coming back to Canaan. He's going to come back to Bethel. He's coming back from being gone. Remember, J- Jacob had to leave because of the tensions with his brother Esau, his twin brother. Jacob uh, deceived his father into receiving the birthright that belonged to Esau. Even though God, though, had promised that the elder would serve the younger. They were twins. And Jacob had grabbed his, and they grabbed the heel as they, as they came out. And his name was Jacob, which is very close, Yaakov, Yaakov, very close to the Hebrew term for deceiver, uh, the heel grabber, the supplanter. And then he, after he tricked his father, he tricked his father, he deceived him along with his mother's help, <laughs> Rebecca, and he, he tricked him into giving him the blessing. Then he, stole the birthright from his brother in a sense that his brother sold it, which wasn't very smart, for some food. And he got the birthright. He leaves Canaan. He goes up north to his family, and he, and he, and he marries, um, he marries. remember, Rachel uh, and Leah. In the other order, though, Leah and Rachel. And then he has Leah and Rachel and their handmaidens. And he has his children, his sons and his daughter. And he grows, when he leaves Laban, his uncle Laban, he has to, I don't know if you want to use the word deceive or whatever, but he ends up with all these animals that he takes back to Canaan. And he's coming back to Canaan. And he's a wealthy man. He's got a large family. This family of these boys that will be the heads of all the tribes of Israel. He has wealth in what what you would number for... uh, for a family in this area, maybe a Bedouin type family, right? He has he has all these animals, he has all this this wealth, he has everything coming back, but he's got one major obstacle coming back, and that is what? Come on, say it. What is it? Esau, his brother. He has to meet his brother, and he is assuming his brother wants to kill him for good reason, from Esau's perspective, and he comes back in trepidation. And he comes back in fear. And you'll notice in chapter 32, Jacob went on his way. And we just, this is this incident we're not given any details about. And the angels of God met him. That's it. Doesn't tell us what they said, what they did. The angels of God met him. This is where I mentioned last week, this kind of, I'm not saying it's true, but this is a, comes from the rabbis that when the angels that were going up to heaven were the ones who were responsible for him in in Canaan, they were leaving him. The ones that were coming down were the angels that would watch over him in the foreign land. And this is kind of where it comes from. He comes back and here are the angels there to meet him. That's, That's kind of where it comes from. It's kind of interesting thought. It just says he saw them and he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim, 
the camp of God. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir in the country of Edom. And he instructed them, This is what you are to say to my master Esau, your servant Jacob. I have been staying with Laban. I have remained here till now. I have cattle, donkeys, sheep, goats, men servants, maid servants. I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. And when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. <laughs> yeah. We found him. We brought the message, and he's coming to see you, and 400 soldiers are with him. 400 men. I mean, his servants. Uh, we can assume that Jacob is thinking in terms of they're armed coming to see him. Uh, Jacob is not interested in a civil war here. And a family war. He's in great distress. And so he divides, he begins to divide his family into camps. And there's different views of what he's doing. I really think as you read through this, well, you can see his response in verse 8. If Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left makes escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I only had my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I have become two groups. Save me. It's very abrupt in the Hebrew. Save me. It's almost like what they, what they cried when Jesus came down uh, from the Mount of Olives. Uh, Hosanna. Hosea Na. Save now. He says, save me, God, save me, I pray from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers and their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted, and he spent the night there. He's definitely afraid his brother's going to kill him, and his family, and his children, and take everything he has. And so you can take some time and read through the rest of this chapter, how he prepares for this and sends his groups out and he sends them in like he in shifts so in case they are attacked that the last ones would have a chance to survive. Uh, you'll see this through verses 19. He sends gifts to, to his brother. He says to pacify him. He sends all these wealthy gifts to him to show he, he doesn't want a war. He doesn't want trouble. He, he's coming back in, in kindness the gifts go ahead. Verse 22, that night Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two maidservants, his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of Jabbok. There's an interesting play on words here. I mean, you don't have to know Hebrew to catch the wordplay, right? Jabbok and Jacob. This is a river. For those of us that have been there, this would be about maybe 20, 25 miles north of the Dead Sea on the Jordan side where the river comes into the, to the Jordan River from the east from Jordan, in that area there. And he comes there, and he sends them across. He sends them across, verse 23. After he sent them across the stream, coming from the north to the south, he sends them across the stream. He sent over, verse 23, all of his possessions. Jacob is alone. At this point in the story, Jacob is exactly how he left. He left Canaan alone. He had nothing. He had nothing. He left alone. He's now returning. And he's in the exact same situation. 
His family is gone. His servants are gone. His wealth is gone. He is all by himself. And we need to read this story in its entirety, then we'll come back over it and discuss it. This is a frightening encounter with God, we will see. Verse 24, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he said. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. We saw that actually before he, he told Jacob that was going to be his name. We saw that last week at Bethel. But your name will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob says, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. And Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, the Nassah, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Martin Luther made the comment along the lines of, of, of all scriptures, this is one of the most difficult passages, obscure passages to, to understand what is going on and why this takes place and what is happening here. I wanted to read the whole thing first before we go back because I knew you would read ahead anyway. So um, I, I, I know what you're doing. I can see you, right? I, and so uh, let's go back now and talk about this amazing encounter with God, this frightening encounter with God. You've got to use your imagination a little bit. You have to use your imagination in this, in this, in this encounter here. Look, at, look what it says here. Let's go back through it again. As it says here, verse 24, he was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. The scene is, it's nighttime. It's dark. If you've ever been in the desert at night, where it's dark and there are no lights, uh, down in Tucson, we would go down and visit our daughter and her family, Greg and Lene, and live down in Tucson. Uh, up where they lived at night, the lights, there were no billboards, there were no restaurant lights or anything because of the observatory that was up there, right? And uh, it would get dark at night. If you were to go out from there, I'm sure it would get very dark at night. Jack, did you ever go out there at night when it was really dark? Yeah, I bet you did. And um, and it would get dark out there. Think of this. He's, he's alone. He's by the river. It's dark out. And all of a sudden, the hand grabs him. You ever, you ever been in a... When was the last time you were in a really dark place and you thought you heard something? Huh? This, something grabs him. This man grabs him. I mean, he's afraid of what's going to happen to him. He's afraid of Esau. He's afraid of, for his life. He's afraid of the life of his family. Has, has Esau sent someone already? Is Esau here? Who, who, who is this? This man grabs him. 
out of the, the darkness and stillness of the night, he's already afraid and this grabs him. And they start to wrestle. And friends, the word for wrestle here in the Hebrew, it's only used here in the Old Testament. And it comes from the word for, for dust. It's part of, part of the root word that goes together and it, it comes out, it comes out that we get wrestle. It's this idea of intertwined in the dust. They fall to the ground and they are intertwined. They are wrestling. The man is wrestling with him. And so he wrestles back. But I want you to notice, it goes on all night. Any of you ever do wrestling in junior high or high school? Let me see your hands. Wrestling. Uh, ben, how long are the wrestling matches? How long, how long is one match? <laughs> Why, did you lose or win? <laughs> oh, you lose. Okay. All right. Well, if it did last longer, I think it's about a couple minutes, isn't it? I mean, three rounds, right? Isn't it three rounds in a wrestling match? And, and I mean, it's short. And you, you watch people wrestle and how strenuous, how hard. And, and to think of this, all night long. And, and, as one of the commentators, I didn't take time to do all the, but I trust this commentator suggesting Jacob is 97 years old. Anybody here close to that? <laughs> I know one. <clears throat> All night long. See, Jacob is a man who is known for his strength. You see this in his in his in his stories as he goes up to Har- to Haran, as he goes up to his to, to Laban. And you see that he was known for his strength. This is a frightening story. I mean, it's dark out. Who is this person? And why is he wrestling with him? And why is it struggling and going on? And it, and it goes all night long in the dust until daybreak. And it's exhausting. And you get the impression, and, and notice what it says here. This is what's really strange. I want you to read the whole story first because you see at the end of it, it's God. Now, and it's interesting, I read some of the Hebrew commentaries that they suggest it's the word Elohim, it's the word Elohim, which is, is the word for God. It's also the word for gods. It's plural. And, but it's also used for God. And they suggest, it suggests a, some of them that it was a divine being. The Christian tradition has historically, and I think accurately, because we see what he names it afterward, that it's God. Why then, if it's God and they're wrestling, why could he not overpower him? Somehow he limits himself. And God comes in this, in this human form, and he somehow limits himself that, that Jacob cannot be overcome. But we know at any moment that man can end this match. Anytime he wants. Why? Because when it's time to go, he strikes his hip and puts it out of joint. Anybody here ever had a hip out of joint? <laughs> yeah. Pain. Painful. He's wrestled all night long in the dust. This strange visitor, and he's beginning to get a picture of there's something different. This is not just a, this is not just a man. There's something going on here. He's already met the angels. And, he, and, and, this, and this, this divine being strikes his hip and puts it out of socket. And now all he can do is hang on for dear life. That's the picture you get at the end. Look at it says here. 
He touched the socket of Jacob's hip. So his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And the man said, let me go. It's daybreak. In other words, Jacob is just hanging on. He's not wrestling anymore. The match is over. The match is over. He is just grabbed on and he is not going. Why? Let go of him. Let go. But at this point, he's not going to do that. He will not let go of this person until he finds out who it is. He is hanging on for dear life. And the man says, let go of me. Let go. It's over. Your hip's out of joint. The match is over. You lost. Let go. And Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. You see, he's beginning to get, I won't let you go till you bless me. You know, to bless somebody is a sign of authority. You have to be above a person to bless a person, to give them a blessing in the Bible, right? His father, his father Isaac blessed him by trickery, but yes, he blessed him. It has to be the, a, a higher authority to bless somebody below them. This is not an ordinary man. This is, a, this is an angel? Is it his angel? Some of the rabbis have taught it was Esau's angel who was attacking him. <laughs> who is this? He says, you, I'm not letting go until you bless me. You see, Jacob has not been blessed by God yet. He was blessed by his father. But he's beginning to put this together. You know, there are stories in Jacob's family. You know, this is, this is a people with oral traditions. Things are handed down through families. Has your story been handed down to your family? Do your kids and grandkids know your story? There, I mean, can you believe it's possible that Jacob didn't know the story of Abraham and Isaac? Abraham saw angels one time. They came to him from the distance. And they were coming to talk to him. Then all of a sudden, one of the angels is God. It says, Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm not going to keep this from you. And Abraham argues, debates, <laughs> deals with God. Remember about the 50 to the 45 to the 40 to the 30 to the 20 to 10. It's clearly God, but it was an angel. And later on, when Jacob's father, Isaac, was going to be sacrificed, another Encounter with God. Take your son. Your only son. The one you love. And sacrifice. Make a holocaust of him. Slit his throat. Blood run out. Light the fire and burn him to ashes on that altar. And Abraham was going to do it. It was Jacob's father, Isaac. Can you tell me that Isaac never told this story to Jacob? What happened? What happened? Just as that knife was about to come down on Isaac, an angel of the Lord says, Stop! It's an angel. But, the angel then says, Now I see you have not withheld your son, your only son, from who? From me. It was God. Somehow God was in this angelic form. See, Isaac knows these stories. Jacob knows these stories. How could he not know these stories of his family? And here is this angel again. And I think he knows it. He says, I'm not letting go. I am hanging on. I don't care what. You can dislocate the other hip. 
I am hanging on till you bless me. What's your name? My name is Jacob. Yachav. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. I already told you that before, Jacob. At, at, at Bethel, I'm telling you again. Your name will now be Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. And we, what does this name Israel mean? Well, you know what? It's a bit of a mystery. There are different, but the Jewish Publication Society, Old Testament Bible, which I have with their textual notes, says it means God rules. Sometimes it could mean, if you look at it from the air perspective, that, that it's Jacob, that God's fighter, you fought with God and with man and one. It has something to do with ruling, winning, and God. Your name is Israel. Your name, from now on, Jacob, is Israel. Let go. You ask for a blessing. Your name is Israel. And Jacob says, please tell me your name. I told you my name. I mean, all night long. They're covered in dust. They're in the ground. He's hanging on. His his hip is dislocated. He's in pain. And he says, what's your name? Tell me your name. What's your name? And the, and the angel, the divine being, God, as we know it is, in our language, in our English Bible, mine says here, he says here, why do you ask my name? In the Jewish Publication Society Bible, the Hebrew, which is probably more accurate, it says, he says, you cannot ask my name. Don't ask my name. Don't ask. Don't ask my name. God's name has not yet been revealed. His personal name. When is his personal name actually revealed what it means to Moses? To Moses. Yahweh. I am, I am who I am. So you can't ask my name. Don't ask, Jacob. But he did, re- but he said to him, why do you ask my name? And then he took leave of him. He blessed him. The Hebrew says really he took leave of him with the idea he blessed him and he left. And Jacob gave this place a name. Bethel, house of God. This place is Penuel or Peniel because it says, literally, I saw God faces to faces. The plural because there were two faces. I mean, look at it. This was a frightening experience. And he says, this place is holy. This is a place where I saw God Face to face. Come on, what does the Bible say about that? What did God tell Moses? We'll see this later. No one will see what? Huh? No one can what? See my face and live. Jacob says, I saw God face. Did he or didn't he? I saw God face to face. And I'm still alive. He didn't tell me his name. But I'm giving this place a name. Peniel. In verse 31, it's beautiful. A beautiful picture. The sun comes up and Jacob limps back. And limps back. And he has to face, whether it was the rest of his life, we don't know for sure. But knowing what we know about the human body, 
a pretty good chance when Esau finally meets him with his 400 men, Jacob is limping <laughs> to meet him. And you know how the story ends, right? Jacob, they embrace, they kiss, they're brothers. He's welcome back. Esau does not want his presence, but he takes them. He says, I, I, this is not what it's about. And, and, and God protects him. Now, why, why, why did God do this? Excuse me, I don't mean to get so excited, but <laughs> why did he do this? Why would he wrestle with Jacob and not be able to win unless he, well, let me read this to you from James Montgomery Boyce, good evangelical, solid pastor and author. Um, he, in, in, very evangelical. This is what he says here. I want to hes- I hesitate. I want to make one observance. I hesitate. Lest I be misunderstood. What I want to say is, God does not play fair. This is the, this is the, con- this is the commentary on this passage. God does not play fair. I do not mean that God ever does anything that is sinful or unjust. The Lord of all the universe does right. He is perfection itself. What I mean is, God does not play by our rules, and he never loses. He is the sovereign God. His will is done. So whether we like the way he plays or not, God always wins the contest. And if we are smart, we recognize this early and submit to it. That wasn't fair. If this is a wrestling match, to end it by putting his hip out of joint. Why is, what is this about? And why would God do this? And how is it that Jacob saw his face and lived? What is this story about? Well, friends, if you read the rest of Jacob's story, you will see this. Jacob, incidentally, the word for wrestle is also very similar to Yaakov. It's a huge word play here. The river, the wrestling, and his name are all very similar in Hebrew. Look it up, Michael. You'll see this. He's learning Hebrew. You'll see this. It's very similar. It's a word play. It even comes across in English, except for the word wrestle. Jacob leaves this place. And friends, Jacob is no longer the deceiver. Jacob is transformed. He no longer lives by deception. He no longer has to rely on his strength. Jacob is transformed. He leaves his place a different man. And you'll see this. And this is the man, this, this, is, where the patriar- this is where the patriarchal line ends. Abraham was the father of many nations. Isaac was the father of Arab and Jewish nations. They're all Semites. Jacob is the father of Israel. The line stops there. His sons are the tribes of Israel. The interesting thing is, Abram's name was changed to Abraham. We never call him Abram again. Jacob's name is changed to Israel, and we go back and forth calling him Jacob and Israel. In Hosea chapter 12, you'll see an account as well. It says, Jacob wrestled with the angel. But then the account goes on to describe it as God. 
What did Jacob get out of this terrifying encounter with God? He's changed. Here's where I th- let me let me take you to New Testament passage. That I think maybe will help us understand this. There was another wrestling with God, not physical, but in Second Corinthians, in Second Corinthians, Paul's epistle to the church at Corinth, and in chapter twelve, it's a fascinating passage of scripture where he talks about someone who saw, who heard, who was taken up to heaven and, and heard things he couldn't even talk about. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in talking about this experience with God, this encounter with heaven as a human being, which none of us have had, Paul says this, verse 7 of chapter 12, to keep me from becoming conceited, to keep me humble, because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. That's serious. A messenger from Satan himself, Hasatan, the Hebrew, the adversary, to torment me. That is serious too. Three times I wrestled with God. Three times I pleaded, I begged, God, take this Away. We don't know what that thorn in the flesh was. Some think it was his eyesight. It very well could have been. We don't know. It could have been a physical ailment. Could it be a temptation, a character flaw? What was it? Listen, a thorn in your flesh that is left there and is not taken out, it, you, you build the cyst around it, Right? I'm not going to describe it and so on, but you know what I mean. Your body goes around it to protect it, but it gets inflamed. It gets irritated. It gets infected. It could go in your blood and kill you. I got this thorn in my flesh. Whatever it is, he describes it as a thorn in the flesh you cannot get rid of. Your body is fighting off. He says, God, I begged you. Listen. This is the apostle who healed people. Remember the story of his handkerchiefs going out and healing people? Remember the guy that fell out the window and was dead? And, and Paul brought him back. This is the apostle who has healed people. Shook off a viper from his hand. And he says, God, take this away. I can't, I can't, take it away. Why are you doing this? Wouldn't this be better for your ministry if I was free from it? Look what God says. My grave, he didn't say yes or no. He didn't say he will, he didn't say he won't. He just says, my grace is sufficient for you. Why? My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, as much as these thorns are tormenting me, much as I wish I didn't have to live with them. Paul says, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. But why am I strong when I am weak? Is because Christ's power is Christ's power that is made perfect in my weakness. Jacob limped away. 
And he went to met his brother in weakness. Weakness. In front of his family. In front of his own family, his kids. He had to limp to his brother. But God was at work. Because it was God's power that prevailed. And Jacob becomes the father of the nation of Israel. And the Messiah, whom we worship, comes from the line of Jacob. So I close with this, my friends. As Montgomery Boyce, James Montgomery Boyce, after saying, God doesn't always play fair. Have you ever had your life put out of joint by God? Have you never had your own little plans dislocated? Of course you have. Of course you have. Listen, friends. This is our story. Life is life. And there's not a week or a day that goes by that we don't encounter challenges and difficulties, struggles, weaknesses. What is your thorn in the flesh? What is it that you would really prefer that God just take away? What is it? What do you struggle with? What is that temptation? What is that person? What is that physical situation? That You know what? God could do it. Have you ever, have you ever prayed? I have. you ever prayed to God? God, you could do this. I, I've prayed over... Dear people aren't here anymore. God, you, you, I'll go home. you could do this if you want. You could do this. And God doesn't say yes or no. But He says, my grace is good enough for you. Not only is it good enough for you, friends, God's grace is a blessing beyond description that we have no right to. Amen's right. So I tell you today, have you wrestled with God? Have you begged God? It's okay. Would you dare, like Jacob, to say, God, I want, I want to know more of you. What's your name? Tell me. What is it you get out of these things? What we get is more of God. And my prayer is when we gather every Sunday like this, my, my prayer is for me, I need it, as pastor, our leaders, our elders, we need it, the shepherds, you need it. If you need more than anything, what is the most important thing that each week that goes by, we learn more of God. We get more in our deepness of our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what matters. And if it takes a night in the dust wrestling with your hip out of joint, or a prayer of begging, 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 whatever it takes, if when all is said and done, we learn God's grace is good enough. And friends, that's where Christ wants us. Let's close our service with our final song. Appreciate the music you guys have chosen this morning to lead us in.
Let's close our service. Let's stand. We're going to sing together and lift our hearts and voices to God. We've just sung to, we've asked God to teach us the sound of his voice. Would you know it if you heard it? Would you know it if you heard it? Have you heard it? How do you hear God's voice? We prayed to teach me to follow you and to teach me to love you. I have some educators here today. I know who you are. Teaching. Teaching is not easy. It requires discipline. It requires repetition. It requires work. It requires progress. Do we really want God to teach us the sound of His voice? Do we really want to follow Him? And do we really want to love Him? Are you willing to be taught by God? Heavenly Father, we pray that as a family, that we would lay aside the things that so easily, as the Hebrews writer says, the things that so easily entrap us, the things that so easily trip us up. We know what they are. No one, you don't need, we know. We're supposed to lay these things aside and follow our Lord Jesus Christ to run the course and set out for us. For us. Not for our neighbor, but for us. And Lord, I pray today that our hearts will be open and sensitive to you. And when we come back next Sunday, God, my prayer is for me and for everyone here that we will know you better. We will know you better. We will have gotten more deeper in our walk with you, whatever it takes. And Lord, if there's one person here today and you are speaking to their heart right now, they have never accepted Christ's payment for their sins. Lord, we do not want them to leave this place without knowing how much you love them. And we pray, whether it's stubbornness, confusion, reluctance, that they would open their heart and they would say yes to you and receive Jesus Christ's payment on the cross of Calvary as payment for their sins and join this family of God in walking with you. And we pray this in Christ our Savior's name. Amen.